Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics here at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. We're here today with a very special guest. We don't often get to interview Grammy Award-winning artists, uh, but we're here with Grammy Award-winning hip-hop artist Lecrae, also New York Times best-selling author, who has a brand new book out, a terrific new book called I Am Restored, subtitled How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith. Lecrae, thank you so much for coming on with us and for, for your book. It's, a, it's this incredibly uh, vulnerable and transparent story of uh, some of the things you've been through in your life, and we so appreciate the chance to expose our listeners to your book and to your story. So very appreciative for you coming on with us. I uh, appreciate that as well. Thank you. Yeah, now you don't get very far into the book before you realize that this is, it's, a, it's a very vulnerable account of some of the things you've been through. And you, you could easily have justified you know, basically keeping your private life private, saying this is, you know, this is stuff I, you know, I just don't want to be public. Uh, but what motivated you to write the book and, and make this, this incredibly vulnerable story uh, a matter of public knowledge? Um, that's a good question. I, I was, I was taught years ago that leaders lead in vulnerability and, um, I wanted to be vulnerable for a multitude of different reasons. I think, um, one, it was personal, uh, because I knew that if I could be vulnerable in this way, um, it would allow me to, to continue to live in the light, to continue to not have to mask what was going on internally. Um, and then two, I wanted to be vulnerable for others to be able to find healing uh, through this process. Um, maybe there's other people who, you know, as, I, as I've struggled with different things, I, I know I was greatly helped by those who are willing to be vulnerable about their struggles. And then I think lastly, um, for, for those who may um, knowingly or unknowingly uh, create pain and, and turmoil in the lives of others because they don't recognize how... Um, their vitriol creates, uh, you know, these type of lasting effects on people uh, to maybe think twice uh, before they, you know, act, comment, or um, maneuver. Well, we're going to get into some of the particulars of the book and your story, but could we start with just sharing with us your journey to Christ, to becoming a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I was I was not raised in the church per se. My grandmother was a very devout Christian, and um, you know, as I would spend summers with her, three to four months out of the year, she would have us um, regularly attending church. Um, she would have us regularly attending church, but um, when I was home, the other nine months of the year, my mother did not. Uh, she 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 had a very strong distaste for church just because of the legalistic environment that she was raised in. Hmm. So I was raised to be a free thinker, uh, to read um, various different perspectives and views. And um, and I was fine with that until about 17 years old. 17, I had a friend confront me and and uh, he was an atheist. And, um, and he said that he was confident that there was no God and it was just us. And though he said that in confidence, it really gave me a strong sense of anxiety because I, I knew I could barely drive a car, let alone control my life. And uh, so that drove me to really start investigating who God was and 
in my investigative process, which was about two years of just studying different world religions, um, I was introduced to some Christians who invited me to a, a um, an event where I heard a very clear gospel presentation. And, um, and it was as if the light bulb came on and the scales fell off my eyes. Mm. Now, Lecrae, you, I mean, you've had a very successful career as a hip-hop artist, uh, but as you describe in the book, it wasn't particularly easy to get there. Uh, you describe a, a lot about your upbringing, childhood, adolescence, be, you know, coming, coming from a pretty tough upbringing. So t- tell us just a little bit about the, you know, how, how you grew up, some of the, some of the things that, uh, that sort of that marked you uh, during your, your childhood and adolescence. Um, that is par- part of this vulnerable story that you're telling. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I was uh, raised primarily in uh, low-income environments um, where, you know, gang violence was pretty prevalent and normal. Um, you know, it, I mean, just drugs, gangs, all those the different types of circumstances and issues, um, poor education systems, and um, and a different set of values and ethics revolved in the in the way that I was uh, raised, and so that certain things, um, you know, were just normalized. Um, so abuse was was normalized in some senses. Physical abuse, uh, becoming a part of a, a, a violent gang was was normalized, and so these were things that were just around me consistently, and I I, you know, both fell to the vices and became a victim of them as well. I've experienced physical sexual abuse, um, you know, experienced uh, police brutality and, you know, also um, gang violence. And so all those things were kind of the gumbo of um, my upbringing. Now that, that's, a good, that's a good way to put it, that describing it as, a, as sort of the, the soup that you lived in uh, growing up. You also say in the book that hip hop saved your life. Uh, how, how, describe to us how that happened. Yeah, so, um, you know, it wasn't as if, you know, there was access to different career paths or different interests. I mean, obviously, you could become an athlete, which I dabbled in sports, but they didn't just grab my attention. Um, and so for me, you know, where the, the the broader path was just to, you know, get into trouble and um, just kind of go with the flow there were a couple narrow paths that, that one could take. And, um, and, you know, hip hop became one of those narrow paths that just piqued my interest. And I found myself falling in love with the art form, the craft the music. And all I wanted to do all day was write songs and listen to songs. And a lot of that kept me out of trouble, you know, because I was too busy, you know, engrossed in making music or writing songs, um, that, um, I, I didn't do a lot of the things that some other kids may have been doing, but then also um, where I could have fallen a victim to some, you know, uh, bullying or some violence, um, just being really gifted at hip hop music um, made people see that there was something more to me. And um, it, it allowed folks to look out for me and it, it highlighted uh, my abilities and my talents to where opportunities uh, came forward. Your journey through the church was pretty complicated, as you describe in the book. You say initially when you became a, a Christian, you had disdain for the black church. I'm curious, why is that? And what other church experiences did you have um, 
sense then in in your faith and how did maybe even affect your music through that yeah that's that's a great question um i was you know saved or came to faith in a african-american ministry that was kind of a parachurch of a bigger um more conservative uh evangelical ministry and so the the african americans you know we um were would go to you know different uh types of churches missionary baptist charismatic pentecostal word of faith churches and um i think those were places where a lot of my my foundational understanding of who God was thrived. But as I began to um, explore, you know, I've always been a, 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 a seeker of information and, um, a, you know, wanting to know the, the intellectual aspects of things. And I, I thought that Christianity was merely just a, a, a faith and an emotional connection to God. And once, once some uh, more you know, uh, different traditions, uh, primarily the reform tradition introduced me to, you know, the systems of thinking about the faith. I, I fell in love because it allowed me to process my faith in a, in a more intellectual way. And the black church did not provide that for me in, in my experience. And so I began to be frustrated and think that I was better than them and think that they were, um, just worse off instead of realizing that, you know, we're all a body and and we all have different uh, giftings and uh, collectively need to learn how to, to, to walk with one another. So um, I was very haughty and, you know, knowledge puffs up and I, and I really looked down on the black church for their lack of uh, what I believe theological prowess. Um, and, and it, it, it became a problem. Craig, you also describe in your book uh, that you suffered from what you call church hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as your you know as your popularity expanded, as you began to get exposed to <clears throat> your music, became exposed in, in more and more churches. Uh, you know, what what do you mean by the term church hurt, what, and how did you experience that? Yeah, I guess in, uh, simplistically, I'd say church hurt is where you know the people of God that you have these expectations to kind of flesh out the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Um, we're doing the exact opposite um, in respects to me. Um, and so I, initially I, I just, you know, didn't understand it. And I was confused by it because I thought we were all kind of one big family. And every time I challenged the church on some kind of public level with through song, you know, like, we need to do more missions or we need to work in the inner cities. It was always met with like um, repentance or gratefulness or gratitude. And when I began to, initially I began to challenge the church on a sacred secular vantage point, you know, like why are we looking at the world through these, these bifocals and um, you know, going through Andy Crouch's culture makers and Nancy uh, Piercy's, uh, book Total Truth really challenged me, and when I brought those things up, um, I was attacked pretty viciously, and so that 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 put me in a dark place, and I, I wasn't prepared for that. And then when I started to bring up some of the social issues, especially as it pertained to uh, Black Americans, 
um, I was very viciously attacked. And and so that created a a deep pain because I just didn't understand. Um, I, I did not get it. And what developed in me, what should have been a man, a wound that man had caused became for me a, a, a wound that God had caused. And I was in, in some senses blaming God mm-hmm. for uh, the fallibility of his people. And that just took me spiraling down because if I couldn't trust God, then who could I trust? And uh, that was a very, very dark time in my life. That makes me incredibly sad to hear that you, you took such grief for uh, rejecting the sacred secular dichotomy. I think I think a lot of our churches sometimes forget that the reformers actually gave their lives to abolish that dichotomy, you know, four or five hundred years ago. Um, and particularly as you were able to speak to the to a lot of the churches that you were performing in about uh, you know things things that we needed to hear about racial reconciliation. Um, it just makes it just makes me very sad to hear that. Um, how did how did that how did that how did that criticism impact you? You say that, that describing your book that the white church turned its, turned its back on you. Um, that had to be incredibly painful. It it was it, it, it was a little disorienting at first um, it, because what I began to notice was that uh, it was by and large you know and this is you know mostly social media of course because that's where people are are very. Uh, visceral in their commentary, but by and large, you know, the, the commentary was from from white uh, people, and um, and I was like, wait, why why is that? You know, what what is this divide that's happening here? Why can't my white fans see where I'm coming from, but yet my black fans can? Like, this is a, a really strange occurrence, and I, and I didn't realize, you know, just the the historical issues were at play. I just kind of come into Christianity with this kumbaya, we're all together. There's no kind of historical implications here. And I, I just really hadn't thought through any of those things. So I was extremely disoriented. And um and I and and when it when it turned to certain pastors and leaders of different uh Christian organizations, I really felt betrayed. And um, you know, just seeing people say, oh, I'm not listening to your music anymore. Um, and it wasn't as if I was, you know, um, and, and as I go back and, and process it all, I, I was really just being honest about my pain. And a lot of people were, were just saying, we, we're not interested in hearing this. Get back to the gospel. Um, you're, you're caught up in, a, in an agenda. It's, it's not true. And um, I was trying to articulate that, well, it is because I'm experiencing it. I, I've seen it, um, you know, in my own life. So. Uh, yeah, so that, that, that was very painful. And, and the end result for me was that I had put so much trust and so much stock in the views of these leaders and thinkers and people that um, I just didn't believe God was real because they were my only vantage point of, of God. Wow. And, and so um, I just thought, well, there, there can't be a God because if these are the people that I've learned about God from and they're saying this, I don't have any other way to reconcile what I'm, I'm seeing here. Lecrae, you describe this pain just really raw and real in the book. And I think on one day, as kind of a piece of this, you describe how people stop buying your music. And in, I think it was within one day, if I got it right, like 30,000 followers on Twitter, which some people might say, well, that's just social media. But that's 30,000 people saying, we're not going to follow you anymore. We're not interested in you in, in anymore. Like, that's a very personal hurt. Like, I, I get that. 
through some of this pain with the white church, were there some individuals who you think did it right and listened to you, treated you well, and are a model for how we could do this better? And you can name them or not, but what, what are some things people did well in your life during this kind of hurtful, hurtful period? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, it, and, and that's where probably some of the the haughtiness that I had toward um, different denominations and both, um, you know, white and black started to dissipate because I began to see that a lot of the, um, uh, um, the AG and charismatic churches, specifically some of the white leaders and pastors, um, really rallied around me and um, and and seek to care for my 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 soul and my well being, um, and it was it was very interesting, you know, because I I had spent so much time with this kind of disdain for what they were communicating, and yet they were being so gracious and loving, and you know, I, I remember, um, you know, uh, some pastors from from Hillsong Church who came to me and said, Hey, listen, I, I'm not really big into the whole John Piper stuff. And I, I just don't get it, but man, I just want you to know, I love you and I care about you. And it was, it was for them, it, they, what they were communicating is that I don't really agree with these, these um, reformed leaders that you follow, but I, but I do love you. And I'm, and I mean, to some degree, I guess they were saying I love them as well, even though I don't agree with their standpoints. And um, and it was the opposite of what I had experienced um, in the circles that I was uh, running in. Um, and so there were people who who did that. Now, I, I do think simply because probably in the in the reform tradition, I mean, people are thinkers and processors. So as people were thinking and processing, they began to come around. They 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 didn't initially just come to my aid. Um, there were some, and John Piper was actually one of them, um, who came immediately, but there were some who took time to process, to think through stuff. Um, another was, was Paul Tripp, who's just been phenomenal. Um, and, and Tim Keller as well, just great leaders who've been phenomenal and even consistently. And so I'm very grateful for, um, the way that they navigated that time period and that, in that, those issues. Mm. Lecrae, a big part of the book describes sort of what was happening in your personal and family life as the popularity of your music increased. Uh, can you, you know, I, I don't want you to share any more than you're comfortable with, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what was going on sort of behind the scenes and more, you know, personally and at home? Sure. As, you know, as your music you know, as the popularity of your music seemed to be going off the charts. Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> what began to happen is that, um, you know, there were some songs that were making headway in more mainstream um, areas and not particularly in the Christian spaces. And I had to spend a lot more time in those mainstream circles where there was not a, um, you know, a moral compass oftentimes. And so uh, people weren't people weren't praying for you in those contexts. No, they absolutely (laughs) were not. (laughs) Uh, They were were praying on me is a better way to to think of it. Uh, (laughs) uh, So in those in those environments, um, you know, I think 
I was vulnerable and I was um, insecure and and you know craving to belong because I had just felt so rejected and and that false sense of like care and affirmation um, was like a drug and um, and so in those circles you know what began to happen is. I began to be heralded for my abilities, my gifting, my popularity, and um, and I was eating it up, you know, just internally. You know, I was I, I didn't really know what to do with my faith at that point in time, anyway. So I just went with the flow, and going with the flow, you know, led to me numbing a lot of the pain that I would feel internally, um, and numbing the pain was um, through a lot of drinking you know, and, and, um, just excessively drinking, um, excessive, you know, taking, um, engagements that I didn't have to take because I just didn't want to be present. I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to do, I told my wife, I wasn't interested in doing devotionals with the family because I just didn't know what I felt about God. And, and I didn't want to deal with that guilt either. So I'd stay on the road and, um, and then staying on the road you know, you're, you're drinking and then you're dealing with the anxiety of the, the stress that you're, you're internally dealing with. And I remember talking to, you know, doctors about that and then prescribing pills. And now I've got this combination of alcohol and pills and parties and, 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 and engagements where I'm performing in front of an audience that doesn't have a moral compass. And, um, and my just, my ideals were just really bec- becoming warped at that point in time. And, um, and I remember during that point in time, I was thinking to myself, well, if there's no God, um, what does matter? Does anything matter? And what is marriage? And I mean, my wife and I aren't seeing eye to eye. Should we even really be together? Like, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and so these are all things that I'm internally wrestling with and just, just, just going spiraling, you know, downward. And, um, you know, by the grace of God, um, you know, he, he, he allowed me to suffer through a, a clinical depression mm. where it was so crippling that I couldn't enjoy those things. I couldn't partake in that um, lifestyle. And, and I didn't know where to go other than to God. Could, could you describe for us what maybe brought you out of it? Was it an experience? Was it God's grace infusing you? Was it being grounded in theology or apologetics or relationship? What are some things that brought you out of that hurt and really depression period you just described? Yeah, you know, I love, um, I, 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 I could not read the book of Job when I was in that, that place. I, I did read the book of Jonah. Mm. And Jonah's story was so inspiring to me because he was, he just rejected God in the same way that I did and tried to run away from God and ended up saying, I don't even want to live anymore. And God was just gracious enough to pick him up even at his lowest place and um, and still use him. And, and so I think that story um, gave me a picture of hope, a picture that God will still use you if you're willing. Um, and I, I think, you know, when I brought up Job initially because my my friend, I had a couple of friends who were a picture of what I think Job is trying to articulate to us is that you shouldn't try to come around your friends who are in pain and, you know, tell them, give them criticisms and, and you know, your, you know, expert advice, but you should just be present. And I think that's what, what, um, what I, I learned from them is that their consistency and their presence was helping to heal, heal me. 
Um, and, you know, the biggest thing I'd have to say is that once I was willing, um, you know, first, the first thing I did, I'll be honest with you, is I went to, to therapy um, because I, I just I didn't trust God initially. So I, I trusted therapy and I went to therapy and um, and it, you know, God was gracious enough to put me with a Christian therapist who would push me to see things from the lens of the scripture mm. in that entire process. And so he was just working behind the scenes in so many amazing ways. That's great. I'm three years older than you are, but I grew up kind of in, in the church. And I remember in the early 90s uh, when I heard Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith on the radio, it was like, oh, we are in. We have crossed into the mainstream. They're playing Christian music. And we thought that was awesome. What's interesting in your story is you've gotten criticism for broadening your music's appeal outside Christian circles, rejecting the secular uh, sacred secular split that doesn't make any sense to me I don't get it hmm. but why do you think you got that criticism what did you learn from it yeah I, th- I think there were many different reasons um you know on one hand um I'd be remiss if I if I didn't you know just honestly say that ethnicity has a lot to do with that um hmm. if you you know you whether people want to admit that or not, I do think there is a a lens by which America sees or has seen Black people through. And rap music, in many ways, amplifies that lens. Gangsterism, thugs, gang members, drug dealers. Um, and, and so when you see an individual who is in some senses, redeeming hip hop and and not using it for all those negative ways, now connecting with the very people that you just had a a terrible outlook on uh, from the onset, your thought is, look at him, he's going back into that place, you know, and it's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy. Gotcha. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of that, um, and I, I think we wouldn't say it's it's race or ethnicity, but it it just so happens that the cultures that we struggle with typically belong to a particular race or ethnicity, and so if you struggle with hip hop as a culture, well, it, I mean it's pretty much a, a black culture. Um, if you struggle with with those particular things and you would struggle with some of my decisions to move in that direction. And so, yeah, I think, I also think another thing I think now is that there was just not an expectation and I've heard it many times. I mean, many pastors have said it. I don't think they, they knew what they were saying was insulting. Um, but, but many have said, I did not expect you to be this intelligent. I did not expect you to be this well-spoken. Um, and so, you know, just, Hearing those types of of statements were a reflection of what the expectation was of 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 me. Gosh, that's that's that's, that's, that's painful. That's, I, that's brutal. I, I really uh, appreciate you you being vulnerable enough to share that. Let, let me ask you one more question. I'm gonna throw it back to you, Scott. Is you talk a lot in the book about fatherlessness mm. and how that affect and shaped you, and and the different times I've heard you speak, Lucrae, I fi- I feel like you're trying to meet a balance in the middle. It's the sense that I get. So you're recognizing that fatherlessness is a real issue. Your dad had agency and could make a choice, 
but there's so much more going on in the black community than fatherlessness. And many times when people minimize it to that, they miss certain key components that are going on. So can you give just your perspective maybe about how that affected you personally and how you see that as a whole in culture today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think fatherlessness um, for me was absolutely detrimental and it was a terror uh, in my life. And, and it's, it's detrimental. It has been detrimental in black community. The numbers have actually um, changed dramatically since I was a kid. I think now uh, more than uh, 60% of, of father, African-American fathers are in the home. So things have changed, but I, I, I don't think um, people ask why black fathers weren't in the homes. Um, and there's so many issues at hand that create an environment for one, the fathers to not be present. And for two, um, for the black community to still have tons of different struggles um, that fatherlessness cannot be held responsible for. Um, so, you know, as you begin to to look at, um, you know, the war on drugs in the 80s, um, that took a lot of fathers out of the, out of their communities, um, whether that was you know, prison or death, um, it removed a lot of fathers. Now you'd have to do some reverse engineering to understand how that whole war on drugs happened. Were the people who sold them culpable for their actions? Absolutely. Um, or the, you know, that that's not a, 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 a point of debate. However, you know, I think about my own family who, you know, my father was a very intelligent man um, but he wasn't presented with those opportunities. My mother actually uh, went on to go to college, but she just didn't have, there were no job opportunities being offered to her in the 70s that, um, you know, would highlight her her intelligence and her skill set. So, you know, they had to settle for working at UPS. My mother worked at a grocery store and, you know, and was a, um, worked at a halfway house. And so it, there were just circumstances and glass ceilings that also created problems for individuals to thrive, you know, without my father in my life, sure, it had a host of problems. But then you have to realize, I, if I did have him, him and my mother would have been working overtime, and I'd still been at home by myself for hours on end, which would have contributed to so many problems. So there's just a host of different issues that uh, contribute to the, the issue, to what happens in our community. Hi, Lecrae, I appreciate the. The, com- the complexity that you're drawing our attention to in this because it, it is I think it is n- not uncommon to reduce the issues for the black community into the, just the lack of fathers in the home and I think that help that that's helpful I think for everybody involved to appreciate the com- you know that it's just it's just a more complicated story than that mm-hmm. uh, and you can't re- it's it's just not accurate to reduce it like it like it's often done mm-hmm. uh, let me ask can I ask one, one final question? I'm just I'm, I'm interested. You, you mentioned in the throughout the book that you you so you lost your religion but reconstructed your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us just can you just summarize you know what sort of where, where are you? I'm just curious. I think our listeners would be curious. Now, just where are you in terms of that reconstructed faith? That's a great question. Because uh, because we all know we all know that that's a you know that's 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 a process that can take a long time, um, but yeah, if you if, where where are you just in in that process? 
that's, that's great. I think more than anything these days, I am extremely interested in critiquing the lenses from which I see the scriptures through. Um, realizing that I'm a Westerner, um, realizing that um, I have a limited vantage point of, of understanding uh, God's word, I, I, I'm always critiquing my lens. And so it's it's not to say I'm an, I'm ecumenical because that's not the case. But but I'm 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 of the belief that I can learn from my Anglican, my Reformed, my Charismatic, my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, and I don't have to embrace everything that they that they that they bring my way, but I can I can measure that you know, against the scriptures and try to, to try to wrestle with it. I'm, I'm probably more of a Berean than I've ever been. And I guess if that makes sense. Um, and, and very, very much interested in understanding the Eastern lens of that scripture was written in intentionally. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm far more open-handed than I once was to, ideas and and things coming my way where prior to that I was very closed off and you know I, there's certain people I would never even listen to and you know everything I know there's this, this person is a heretic and I don't want to hear anything they have to say whereas now I'm saying well what, what are people hearing when they listen to this person let me hear what they hear and I don't agree with that but I do like this actually and that does make a make a lot of sense and and just trying to build my uh, foundation on Christ alone and not on a uh, kind of a system that I think we have built to make sure that we feel comfortable about a supernatural God that, you know, um, has revealed himself through scripture. And and that's who we should be trusting and where our trust should be. Well, and I think, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great set of observations. I think our relationship to God, I think, was never intended to make us comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but to but to keep us there, there's just there's an uncomfortable part of the demands to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow Christ, which I think you've you've brought out really insightfully here in your book. I want to I want to commend to our listeners again, Lecrae, your book entitled "I Am Restored: How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith." It's an it's an incredibly moving, vulnerable, uh, transparent story of how you know how you've wrestled with the. Your, your background, your success, your, your spiritual battles, uh, and how you've how you've come out of this, uh, m- I think much stronger, much more insightful. Um, but it's a, it's just a very powerful message, and so I just want to commend the book to all of our listeners. It's this is a mu- this is a must read by Lecrae, our Grammy Award winning artist. Um, so thankful for you coming on with us. Uh, so appreciate your insight and for. Uh, just for, for being vulnerable with us and our listeners as well as you have been in your book. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Lecrae, and his book, I Am Restored, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed our conversation today, give us a rating on your podcast app feel free to share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.